Chapter Twenty of the Mystery of the Boule Cabinet by Burton Egbert Stevenson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Escape. I have a confused remembrance of Godfrey stooping for an instant above the body, staring at it, and then with a sharp cry, hurling himself through that open doorway. A door slammed somewhere. There was a sound of running feet and before either Simmons or myself understood what was happening, Godfrey was back in the room, crossed it at a bound, and dashed to the door opening into the hall, just as it was slammed in his face. I saw him tear desperately at the knob, and then retreat two steps and hurl himself against it, but it held firm, and from the hall outside came a burst of mocking laughter that fairly froze my blood. "'Come here, you fools!' cried Godfrey, between clenched teeth. "'Don't you see he's getting away?' Simmons was quicker than I, and together they threw themselves at the door. It cracked ominously, but it still held. Again they tried, and this time it split from top to bottom. Godfrey kicked the pieces to either side and slipped between them, Simmons after him. Then, in a sort of trance, I staggered to it, and after a moment's aimless fumbling, was out in the hall again. I reached the stairhead in time to see Godfrey try the front door, and then turn along the lower hall leading to the back of the house. An instant later, a chorus of frenzied women's shrieks made my hair stand on end. How I got down the stair I do not know, but I too turned back along the lower hall, expecting any instant to come upon I knew not what horror. I reached an open door, passed through it, and found myself in the laundry in the midst of a group of excited and indignant women, who greeted my appearance with a fresh series of screams. Unable to go farther, I sat limply down upon a box and looked at them. I dare say the figure I made was ridiculous enough, for the screams gave place to subdued giggles but I was far from thinking of my appearance or caring what impression I produced, and I was still sitting there when Godfrey came back, breathing heavily, chagrin and anger in his eyes. The employees of the laundry, conscious that something extraordinary was occurring, crowded about him, but he elbowed his way through them to the desk where the manager sat. A crime has been committed upstairs, he said. This gentleman with me is Mr. Simmons of the Detective Bureau and at the words Simmons showed his shield. "'We shall have to notify headquarters,' Godfrey went on, "'and I would advise that you keep your girls at their work. I don't suppose you want to be mixed up in it.' "'Sure not,' agreed the manager promptly, and while Simmons went to the phone and called up police headquarters, the manager dismounted from his throne, went down among the girls, and had them back at their work in short order. Godfrey came over to me, and laid his hand on my shoulder. Why, Lester, he said, you look as though you were at your last gasp. I am, I said. I'm going to have a nervous prostration if this thing keeps up. You're not looking particularly happy yourself. I'm not happy. I've let that fellow kill a man right under my nose, literally under my nose, and then get away. Kill a man, I repeated. Do you mean? Go upstairs and look at the right hand of the man lying there, said Godfrey curtly, and you'll see what I mean. I sat staring at him, unable to believe 
that I had heard aright, unable to believe that Godfrey had really uttered those words, the right hand of the man lying there, that could mean only one thing. Simmons joined us with a twisted smile on his lips, and I saw that even he was considerably shaken. I got Grady, he said, and told him what had happened. He says he's too busy to come up, and that I'm to take charge of things. Godfrey laughed, a little mocking laugh. Grady foresees his Waterloo, he said. Well, it's not far distant, but I'm glad for your sake, Simmons. You're going to get some glory out of this thing yet? I hope so, and Simmons' eyes gleamed an instant. The ambulance will be around at once, he added. We'd better get our shoes on and go back upstairs and see if anything can be done for that fellow. There can't be anything done for him, said Godfrey wearily, but we'd better have a look at him, I guess. And he led the way out into the hall. Not until Simmons spoke did I remember that I was shoeless. Now I sat down beside Godfrey, got fumblingly into my shoes again, and then followed him and Simmons slowly up the stair. I thought I knew what was passing in Godfrey's mind. He was blaming himself for this latest tragedy. He was telling himself that he should have foreseen and prevented it. He always blamed himself in that way when things went wrong. And then, to have the murderer slipped through his very fingers. I could guess what a mighty shock that had been to his self-confidence. The latest victim was lying where he had fallen, just inside the doorway leading into the inner room. Simmons stepped to the window, threw open the shutters, and let a flood of afternoon sunshine into the room. Then he knelt beside the body and held up the limp right hand for us to see. Just above the knuckles were two tiny incisions with a drop or two of blood oozing away from them and the flesh about them swollen and discolored. I knew what it was the instant he yelled La Mort, said Godfrey quietly, and he knew what it was the instant he felt the stroke. It is evident enough that he had seen it used before, or heard of it, and knew that it meant instant death. I sat down, staring at the dead man, and tried to collect my senses. So this fiendish criminal, who slew with poison, had been lurking in Vantine's house, and had struck down first to Ray, and then the master of the house himself. But why, why? It was incredible, astounding. My brain reeled at the thought, and yet it must be true. I looked again at the third victim, and saw a man roughly dressed, with bushy black hair and tangled beard, a very giant of a man, whose physical strength must have been enormous, and yet it had availed him nothing against the tiny pinprick on the hand. And then a sudden thought brought me bolt upright. But Armand, I cried, where's Armand? Godfrey looked at me with a half-pitying smile. What, Lester, he said, don't you understand even yet? It was your fascinating Monsieur Armand who did that, and he pointed to the dead man. I felt as though I had been struck a heavy blow upon the head. Black circles whirled before my eyes. Go over to the window, said Godfrey, preemptorily, and get some fresh air. Mechanically I obeyed, and stood clinging to the window sill, gazing down at the busy street where the tide of humanity was flowing up and down, all unconscious of the tragedy which had been enacted so close at hand. And at last, the calmness of all these people, the sight of the world going quietly on as usual, 
restored me a portion of my self-control. But even yet I did not understand. Was it Armand, I asked, turning back into the room, who lay there in the corner? Certainly it was, Godfrey answered. Who else could it be? Godfrey, I cried, remembering suddenly. Did you see his eyes as he lay there watching the man at the cabinet? Yes, I saw them. They were the same eyes, the same eyes. And the laugh, did you hear that laugh? Certainly I heard it. I heard it once before, I said, and you thought it was a case of nerves. I fell silent a moment, shivering a little at the remembrance. But why did Armand lie there so quietly, I asked at last. Was he injured? Godfrey made a little gesture toward the corner. Go see for yourself, he said. Something lay along the wall on the spot where I had seen that figure, and as I bent over it, I saw that it was a large net, finely meshed but very strong. That was dropped over Armand's head as he came up the stairs, said Godfrey, or flung over him as he came into the room. Then the dead man yonder jumped upon him and trussed him up with those ropes. Pushing the net aside, I saw upon the floor a little pile of severed cords. Yes, I agreed, he would be able to do that. Have you noticed his size, Godfrey? He was almost a giant. He couldn't have done it. If Armand hadn't been willing that he should, retorted Godfrey curtly, you see he had no difficulty in getting away, and he held up the net and pointed to the great rents in it. He cut his way out while he was lying there. I ought to have known. I ought to have known he wasn't bound, that he was only waiting, but it was all so sudden. He threw the net down upon the floor with a gesture of disgust and despair. Then he stopped in front of the bull cabinet and looked at it musingly, and after a moment his face brightened. The burlap wrapping had been almost wholly torn away, and the cabinet stood more insolently beautiful than ever. It seemed to me, under the rays of the sun, which sparkled and glittered and shimmered as they fell upon it. "'But we'll get him, Simmons,' said Godfrey, and his lips broke into a smile. "'In fact, we've got him now. We have only to wait, and he'll walk into our arms. Simmons, I want you to lock this cabinet up in the strongest cell around at your station, and carry the key yourself.' "'Lock it up,' stammered Simmons, staring at him. "'Yes,' said Godfrey, "'lock it up. That's our one salvation.' His face was glowing. He was quite himself again, alert, confident of victory. You're in charge of this case, aren't you? Well, lock it up and give your reasons to nobody. That'll be easy, laughed Simmons. I haven't got any reasons. Oh, yes, you have. And Godfrey bent upon him a gaze that was positively hypnotic. You will do it because I want you to, and because I tell you that, sooner or later, if you keep this cabinet safe where no one can get at it, the man we want will walk into our hands. And I'll tell you more than that, Simmons. If we do get him, I'll have the biggest story I ever had, and you will be world famous. France will make you a chevalier of a legion of honor. Simmons, mark my words. Don't you think the ribbon would look well in your buttonhole? Simmons was staring at the speaker as though he thought he had suddenly gone mad. Indeed, the thought flashed through my own brain that the disappointment, the chagrin of failure, had been too much for Godfrey. He burst into laughter as he saw our faces. No, I'm not mad, he said more soberly, and I'm not joking. I'm speaking in deadly earnest. Simmons, 
when I say that this fellow is the biggest catch we could make. He's the greatest criminal of modern times, I repeated, Lester, this time without qualification. And now, perhaps, you'll agree with me. And with Armand so finished, so poised, so distinguished in my mind, and the body of his latest victim before my eyes, I nodded gloomily. But who is he? I asked. Do you know who he is, Godfrey? There's the ambulance, broke in Simmons, as a knock came at the street door, and he hurried down to open it. Come on, Lester, and Godfrey hooked his arm through mine. There's nothing more we can do here. We'll go down the back way. I've had enough excitement for the time being, haven't you? I certainly have, I agreed. And he led me through the back, along the hall to another stair, down it, and so out through the laundry. But Godfrey, who is this man, I repeated. Why did he kill that poor fellow up there? And why did he kill Duray and Vantine? How did he get into the Vantine house? What is it all about? Ah, he said, looking at me with a smile. That's the important question. What is it all about? But we can't discuss it here in the street. Besides, I want to think it over, Lester, and I want you to think it over. If I can, I'll drop in tonight to see you, and we can thrash it out. Will that suit you? Yes, I said, and for heaven's sakes, don't fail to come. End of chapter 20